you know, it's your child. Most people, they're going to step up and they're going to fight. And they say to me, like, how could you, I could never do that. And it's like, well, I didn't think that I was ever going to have to do it. There's nothing really special about my ability other than um, to give God the glory for my strength. And mm-hmm. absolutely, that's where it came from. And I think our whole family was really blessed to have that as our focal point and to have the faith that got us through. What are you doing to create your dream life or your best self? Why do we see some thrive through challenges while others struggle? Welcome to Effort, a podcast where I talk about the main F's in my life that have helped me in creating my best self. Faith, family, forgiveness, food, fitness, and formula. Hi, my name is Amy Ladine, and most would say that I've had my fair share of struggles, whether it was placing my baby for adoption at 18, Facing my marriage-ending affair or battling stage four cancer for almost seven years, it's safe to say that I've been through a lot. Join me as I take you through my story, my journeys, and share with you the tactical strategies every single week that will help you thrive and overcome anything you face. That's right, I'm gonna show you how to create a future self that you'll be proud of. So buckle up, get ready for the ride as I take you through my story and bring other guests on that have helped me along the way. Okay guys, just another quick intro to the intro because I had this amazing, incredible woman on the podcast. And then after we recorded, I was able to get a copy of this book. So today, as I interview Caitlin Bangson, you know, I want to encourage all of you to go get her book, Marvelous Macy, The Delightful Days. She's going to have follow-ups to it. And it's just the first in a series based on true life. And, you know, Caitlin, you'll soon see that, you know, she knows trials and trauma of childhood cancer, childhood disability, and, you know, just the fear of losing her daughter. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and I hope that you go get a copy of this book. All right. So today I have a very special guest on and uh, this is near and dear to my heart uh, because we are going to be talking about the big C word. And um, I, I always love to see other people's experiences because this lady is so special. And one, I typically don't go through someone's website and like look at all the things, but she has a very cool website. So after this, you know, it will be in the show notes, but you got to go check it out because she's got some fun facts about herself. But it really, um, let me dive into, um, you know, her life. So I just want to welcome you, Caitlin, for being on the podcast today. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. And honestly, I'm so honored that you reached out to me to include me in this. I listen to your podcasts all the time. And I just, I'm beyond grateful, for sure. Thank oh. you. Well, I'm really happy that Carol, you know, uh, one of our coaches at LBC, you know, she said to me, you know, she's like, listen, this you need to really be watching this girl because she's got such a powerful story. And, you know, this is exactly why I like to have people like you on is because there are a lot of incredible, inspiring, you know, stories out there that need to be shared because in a world right now where the news is just always so negative, I know I love to anchor things like this. And I'm like, oh, there's good people in the world and they're doing good things and they've fought through hard things. So that's exactly why I wanted to have you on today. So thanks again. Yes, thank you. And I was really uh, surprised also by Carol reaching out to you and to me. And it's been really awesome because she's across the globe from me in Australia and my coach through LBC. So it's just really cool. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, we always say transformation doesn't happen in isolation. So it's really about it's everything. It's, you know, leveling up our mindset. And I love to see people like master that part of their life because the confidence that goes into the other areas is huge. 
And, uh, and you've already, you know, we're going to talk about this book that you just wrote. And I will say, you know, and I always like to put things out into existence here is, you know, I just this last Saturday committed at a mastermind, like we burned our fears or our, the lies we're telling ourselves. And then we wrote down the truth. And my lie was that I can't write. I'm not a good writer. I can't write a book. And the truth is I can get some help. I can learn. It's a skill. And then I committed to writing a book, which is pretty scary for me. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's exciting. It's exciting. So you're a step ahead of me, but um, we'll talk about that and, and how that all came about. But, you know, when we talk about cancer, a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm talking to the person that had the cancer, fought the journey. And I will say that you, um, you know, we all have like fears in life and, and having kids. You have gone through what I consider one of my biggest fears, which is a child with cancer. So talk me through that because I know that, you know, your daughter was just under two years old when this happened, um, you know, had siblings. So talk me through this and probably how you probably didn't think this would ever happen to you, right? No, no. And it was actually interesting because a couple of years before she was diagnosed, we were at a silent auction fundraiser for somebody, a family who had a small child who got diagnosed with leukemia, which is what Macy head. And in that moment, I didn't know the family. I thought I'll bid on something, right? Like support this family. This is a fun night out for me. That's it. And you have that feeling of, I could not imagine this being my reality. And it never will be because you always think it it won't be right. You just, you don't have that. I don't, it's just like when you're young, right? You think you're invincible. And I think something that big of a stretch from your what you conceive to be normal, uh, you just can't envision happening. And, um, and that was just, I really remember that moment, because then, you know, flash forward, and I was in that, in that moment in the hospital receiving that news. And this is now my reality, like, they just told me that my baby has cancer. Uh, How is that? How is that even possible? Um, how, what do we do next? And, um, and to rewind, she was born into the NICU with uh, collapsed lungs and um, some blood sugar problems. And so her first night wasn't even with me and that felt scary. And then, you know, she got through that and we went home and then she was diagnosed with a chromosome disorder when she was, this was before her cancer diagnosis. And that felt scary. And we felt like, you know, our world had been shaken with news of this unknown trajectory and what was going to happen. Was she going to live independently? Were we going to, you know, have her walk down the aisle, you know, or do the things that you dream about for your little girl, uh, live, you know, living on your own, uh, going off to, you know, pursue her dreams and things like that. And so that was very, very hard. And then we hit the fall just after that diagnosis of 2014. And she started to get so sick. And she was not happy unless she was on my hip. And she would just cry and she stopped crawling. And she was vomiting all the time. And we had several trips to the hospital and uh, emergency visits and overnights and admissions and all sorts of things. And we couldn't pin it down. So on the day we went in, uh, which was, I think, Monday, uh, December the 1st, 2014, she had slept literally all day. Like, I think she was awake about a half an hour. And my mother-in-law came over to watch her because I was actually personal training at the time in my gym. And she comes in, my mother-in-law's a nurse, and Macy is just uh, exhausted and just sleeping on my mother-in-law. And she says, she has to go to the hospital right now. And I just, like, she had just been to the doctor on the Friday before. So I was thinking, you know, Maybe she's, you know, worried for nothing. We were just at the doctor, but I also felt in my gut, like something's wrong. 
She slept mm. all day. Like I know she's a tired baby, but, and the doctor on Friday had said, look, I think she's just, you know, fighting off viruses. Her brothers are bringing stuff home. You know, she's the third kid, this kind of thing. But if you start to see nosebleeds or some um, like little spots, little bruising, things you're probably familiar with, maybe, um, you know, then maybe take her to the hospital. Mm. And she got progressively more tired and she did have some really mild nosebleeds. But again, I was expecting it to be really obvious. So we, we took her in a little bit hesitantly because we thought, shouldn't we just let her sleep the night and take her in the morning? Like this was now mm. evening time. But when we got there, they saw what she looked like, which was um, just weak like a rag doll. And she was slung over my shoulder and, mm. and pale, 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 like the color of your white walls. And they took us right back. And I thought that's not good because we're at the children's hospital in Calgary and that never happens. And we're going right back into a room. And then we just started like an excruciatingly long series of tests and they couldn't get IVs and they were poking her like a pincushion everywhere possible. And finally, hours later, um, after all the, you know, walking around and the worry and the tests and the phone calls and the prayers, they, the, a different doctor comes in, right? And she says, you have to sit down, you should sit down. And that's when you know. And I just had a feeling. I thought, I feel like I know what she's going to say, but I cannot believe that that could be. Right. And so she, she just said, you're, um, she has cancer. She has leukemia. And we don't know exactly what type yet. So we don't know exactly her protocol. But at this time, she was 20 months old. Wow. And like I said, she had already been sick all fall. And, and it was just like, we thought we already did these hard things with her. And now, and now this. And, uh, and it was just, I think you're, it's very surreal. I don't think for, for me anyway, I kind of process things over time. And it was a really long, really, really long night, of course. Uh, but I, it wasn't like I broke down in tears in that moment. It was like, I was just, okay. I think I go into project management mode a little bit, yes. you know? Yeah. But I also was really tired. And so you just kind of going through the motions of what she needs for the night and going, okay. And when we left, that was um, the Monday we said to the boys, like she, she has two older siblings at the time who were, I think four and five, I forget exactly, but um, little. And we just said, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And then I didn't come home with Macy for six weeks. Wow. So for them, it was just like their world got turned upside down without any, any notice, right? Just right. all of a sudden their sister and mom are gone. Which is so hard, even for the siblings, you know, I, I look back and, you know, we didn't share and it, it's, it's fine line. It's like, you want to be honest with your family, but you also don't want them to worry because they maybe don't have the emotional strength and capabilities to deal with it. And, you know, I, I really toted that line and, and, you know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, I probably should have shared more because there were times that my family just disregarded, you know, like they're like, let's just go because I would show this tough, you know, side. But then I also knew times like where Kimaylee's grades were slipping in school and stuff. And it was always correlating with how I was doing and that mm -hmm. they're just the stress that they were having, you know, so I wondered how, you know, the older siblings, you know, did with that because they need their mom too. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember being home for like short stays during that time. If someone would spell me off or even after returning home, I just felt like they were on my lap, like as if I was a kangaroo and they wanted to get in my pouch and just get as close to me as possible. And I would struggle with like, I know that they need me. I just like, I, I'm so depleted that I will give them what I have left, but 
I, I just want everyone off of me, not, you know, even though I want to give them comfort, it was just, it was really hard to balance being all of a sudden home. And that was supposed to be normal, but it felt more normal to be at the hospital. Mm -hmm. And in some ways at the hospital, I only had to do Macy. I only had to do, even though it was scary and hard, all of the other pressures and the things we carry around on our list and our, you know, our noisy mind, right? I could let go of those at the hospital. And so there was like, it was difficult sometimes, right, to be home and go now, what about all the pieces here that need picking up? What about my husband? What about my boys? That's what I was going to ask you. So let's talk about that. How, how was that on your marriage? I mean, you know, full, full honesty, transparency here. How was that? Because everybody also handles grief because I call it a form of grieving because it is. So we handle that grieving differently. You know, how was that in comparison? Well, um, I think we, I think we were probably surprised by, um, you know, the growth that we had as a result of it. But mm. certainly, yes, I think the strain of the way you both respond, it does take its toll. And mm. we did, um, we were told at the very beginning by the social worker, like, this is a thing that people don't often make it through. And I forget what the percentage was, but it was pretty low for the survival rate of a marriage um, going through, you know, really any kind of uh, huge diagnosis, trauma, uh, the bereavement or loss, right? And um, so I think we balanced each other pretty well because he is a little bit more of a worrier, say, in the moment, whereas I go into that project management mode and kind of handle the logistics and then direct traffic, right? Like, okay, here, you can try, you do these things, I'll do this. But every now and then, right, you can't control your, your holding on so tightly. And when mm-hmm. that comes out, you know, I think we both have very different moments, right? Josh, my husband's name is Josh. Um, and the way that we express our sadness, you know, or, our, or those moments where the, the heaviness is heavier and you go like, uh, you know, I need, uh, hopefully this is a moment where you can boost me up and you can kind of spell off each other, right? Like when I am yes. weak, hopefully you're a bit stronger and vice versa. And I think for the most part, it felt that way, but we definitely had some moments of that, that, uh, where we got into an argument and I think it wasn't about the argument, right? It was just, we're holding on so tightly to, you know, trying to make each other's, you know, world okay right now when it's not okay. And, right. and so it, it explodes, you can't help it. But I mean, I think we we came out okay. <laughs> I, I love that. And I love that you mentioned even just the statistics. I was actually really surprised that even people facing cancer, like they end up divorced, like the, like people end up divorced. Like I always just thought, well, maybe they feel sorry. They don't feel sorry for the person going through cancer, but it also can be the attacker of, I mean, I would attack my husband. I'm just being honest, you know, like when I would have, cause it's like, you don't realize that it's the cancer that you're upset with. And so you're like right. finding other things. And I remember us going to therapy because we were just at a place where it was like a few years in and, you know, it was causing, you know, marital issues and the, you know, the counselor was so powerful. And he said, listen, right now, even though it's physically in your body, Amy, I want you to imagine that it's over here on the chair. And this, this third chair in this, in this room is the cancer. Now I want you to, to bond together and fight against this cancer. Whereas both of you are fighting the cancer and you're still putting it on me. It's in my body because I know I'm sure he was, you know, I mean, I couldn't do all the things, right? I couldn't, you know, and it was so powerful for me because I had even just been resenting even my body because it's in me. And, you know, there's so much power in just the way that we 
talk to ourselves and, you know, and, and treat it. And, and that really did, you know, thankfully help us. But I, you know, I, I look back and I'm like, man, our whole marriage, you know, was, has been cancer. This is the first time that, you know, I'm really <laughs> cancer free without it. And just to kind of pat ourselves on the back that we've just made it. I mean, pat yourself on the back that, you know, you, you can choose to be the victim to your mm-hmm. circumstances or you can choose to say, I'm not going to be that statistic. I'm going to take this opportunity. And you wrote that in your in your website. And I was like, okay, I'm going to love her so much because I actually tell people that my cancer is my advantage. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, it's because my perspective is different on life. And it's because I've had to face this that you just don't have the same perspective as me because you've just not had to face like you losing a child and how important, you know, those things are. So talk me through where, where does that attitude come from? Like, where does your, where do you think this, you know, because people will be listening and going, oh, well, I'm not her. I'm different than her. What's made you have this better perspective fighting for your marriage, fighting for a different attitude towards the cancer? Well, I think, um, first of all, people always say they can't do things right. And then if they're in a situation where, they, I mean, like you always have a choice, of course, you can throw in the towel, but, um, you know, it's your child. Most people, they're going to step up and they're going to fight. And they say to me, like, how could you, I could never do that. And it's like, well, I didn't think that I was ever going to have to do it. There's nothing really special about my ability other than, um, to give God the glory for my strength. And absolutely that's where it came from. And I think our whole family was really blessed to have that as our focal point and to have the faith that got us through. And I think it was really obvious for us that as our need increased, uh, as our trauma was heightened, so was the power of prayer or the visibility of the power of prayer, because we had, you know, a wider community and a wider circle of support as our need was escalated. And so you start from her beginning in the hospital to her chromosome disorder, to her cancer. And we thought, you know, this is the worst day of our life when she got diagnosed with leukemia. And then that was even escalated, um, you know, two years later in the fall of 2016. And I can tell you about that if you want. Um, And then all of a sudden, our need was so much greater than we even thought could be possible. And so again, that circle of support, all of a sudden it spread worldwide and her, her hospital room was just covered in messages and quotes and pictures and, and prayers and, you know, things that she loves and things that were beautiful about her so that, um, that power, right, of that word and of that prayer could just come through to her in that bed, in the hospital bed, and to everybody working on her, right? And everybody that was, you know, part of her team. So I think for sure faith, for sure faith and prayer. And when I didn't have the strength to pray, which was many times, I was totally tapped out. I just really took solace in knowing that everybody else was doing it for me. And, and I didn't have to have the strength in that moment, except for the moment. And that was all I was going to get. And God would give me the strength for that moment. And then for that hour and then for that day, but not maybe because I was on my knees, maybe because other people were. Love that you brought this up. I actually have chills because I do think the power of prayer, 
of others. And this is where people even make that mistake, like group prayer they're seeing in hospitals, like in actual hospitals, you know, MD Anderson, that the power of people praying together for people that they don't even know actually has the power. And, um, you know, like you, I, I didn't spend a ton of time. I mean, I, I, I do pray, but at my darkest times, I know it's because of other people's prayers for me that has, has helped me. And, you know, just when you don't think that you can handle more, I've had that same thing. You know, I went and recorded that podcast in December. I have one that I think it's called one more day where I, I, I cried out to God. Like I was audibly, you know, yelling in my bed in the fetal position, crying, like I can't do this anymore. And it was like a roar of a lion that like just took over my body and was like, yes, you can. And I actually got up and I like went to go worship, went over to my office and ended up, you know, sharing. And so I love that you share that because all of us need to remember the power of our potential change in others that we can be praying for others. Talk me through 2016. What was that? Was that the Hail Mary point for her? Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, that was really where we got to see, um, a miracle and where we got to, where we get to now live with one. And so in the uh, end of November of 2016, she got really sick and uh, we thought with a cold, but all of a sudden her breath was starting to go. And it was like, this is much worse than a cold. She cannot get her air. So once again, and it was so weird, the parallels between 2014 and 2016, um, I took her into the hospital and all night long, they spent trying to get her hooked up to the right oxygen form to get her air. And they just, they could not get her uh, breath in check. And I was starting to realize again, just like 2014, like this isn't good. Like something is not happening that is good here. And both times another parallel was the same intensivist was in working the ICU both years. And both years they were like, should we send her to the ICU? We're not sure. And both times, uh, 100% she needed to be in the ICU. And that's where she ended up. And um, so they spent the night trying to get her um, to be able to breathe. And then finally, around three in the morning, they said, we are going to have to, um, we're going to have to put her on a ventilator. We cannot get her, her air. And so this is now like what's happening. Okay. We've dealt, not dealt with, we're in treatment. She's still in treatment for cancer, right. two and a half years long, this protocol. And so her immune system is weak. And now here we are with what we think is pneumonia again. And she had that 2014, same thing. And in 2014, she couldn't start chemo right away because she had pneumonia. Yes. It was so, it was so strange. Her first day of chemo was actually on my birthday that December. So 2016, again, she's here with pneumonia. And again, I say to the boys, you know, I'll see you in the morning. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. And again, I don't come home for seven weeks with Macy. Wow. So they, I, I, they say they're going to put her on a ventilator. Um, and they, and they do. And then um, it's not working. Right. And they cannot figure out uh, what's going on with her. But what they do figure out is she has pneumonia, she has a bacterial infection, and then um, it's starting to turn septic, which if mm. I'm sure you know that yes. if you have a, a weak immune system, and even if you don't, and you uh, have an infection that turns septic, that can be um, that can be it. That can be really, that's very serious. Yeah. So, you know, in those hospital shows where there's like a little room where they take you for the bad news. All of a sudden, we found ourselves being ushered into one of these little rooms. And so we're here with, you know, um, the high level 
ICU doctor and she sits us down. It's my husband and my mother-in-law and I think my sister-in-law is there and myself. And uh, they just said, look, uh, we have tried everything now. And, you know, we don't, there's sort of like a 50% chance. Um, how did it go with statistics? Uh, basically, like she's not going to make it how she is right now. So this is like a, a big decision for you to make. And our only, our only sort of chance of her making it is to put her on ECMO, which is life support. Mm -hmm. And that can have a whole lot of side effects. You know, it could lead to stroke. It could lead to all sorts of things. And the chances of her making it, um, you know, even without leukemia or sort of like 50-50, she has leukemia. We're not really sure. Actually, mm -hmm. this is what the stat is. My husband said what it was, was 50% chance of us even being able to get her properly on this machine. Wow. And what the machine does is act as your heart and your lungs and it takes your blood out of your body and it reoxygenates it and, it and it pumps it back in. And that was the moment where I fell on my knees. And, and that was the moment I, I started crying, whereas normally, like I said, it's project management mode, but I had been up all night watching her fight to breathe. And now they were saying, you know, this is a decision you have to make and you have to make it quickly. And here's what could happen. And I really cried out in that moment, God, no, 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 do not. I can't do the in-between. And that was my prayer. I was like, you need to save her or you need to take her. But I can't do the in-between. I just, I don't know what to do with that. And I don't know where, why my heart and head went to that. I just, that was a cry out on my knees from my chair to the ground. And, and then we took that moment, we prayed. and. And then half an hour later, they said, we're mobilizing a team. Have you made a decision? And it was like, well, what decision do we have to make? Like, this is it. We're going we're right. to give her to you, you medical professionals, and we're going to give her right. to God. And we're going to trust that your will be done. And so that was obviously a, the scariest moment. And, and that was, again, where this need for just for her survival came down to the power of prayer for her survival and for our protection, because we needed, you know, so much strength. We needed to help our boys deal with saying goodbye to their sister. On that day, they were taken from school around noon and brought to the hospital to say goodbye. And we said goodbye and we didn't know she was going on a plane. We couldn't be on the plane with her. We had to drive behind her three hours up the highway. And in that moment, I knew that the protection for me from above was huge. Because a song came to me when I was standing over her and she was covered and hooked up beyond comprehension in wires and IVs. And she had cannulas, which are metal, uh, metal IVs, metal tubes in her neck. And anyway, the picture of that is horrific. And we were standing over her, over this bed. We couldn't hold her, hug her, touch her because everything was so fragile. And I just felt. I'm sure you know the song, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And I thought, this is me surrendering to this moment. And I hope, Jesus, that she comes back to my family. But if she doesn't, I know she's going to be at peace. And this little body has fought from day one. And I'm tired, I'm tired, but I'm also, I'm tired for her. All she's known is a fight and, and she's done it with such bravery and such um, brilliance, but let's, I just don't want her to have to fight anymore. 
And, um, and thank God that we were able to then experience the true miracle. And we did pray over her communally with oil. My dad put oil on her at the hospital when we got to Edmonton. And I know it was a miracle, not because she's my daughter and it was horrific, but because the medical professionals, they said that too. And you know yourself yeah. that when a medical professional says you beat the odds, this should not have happened. You know, it was a miracle. And we said um, she had to go and get um, tested with a CT scan the day after we got there to see if she had brain activity because they thought that she didn't. And remember, that was the in-between. I didn't want that in-between. And and the, the news came back that she did have brain activity. So we kept on going, kept on going. And when we got back to the ICU in Calgary after about 10 or 11 days, again, that was a miracle. We didn't know if we were pitting in for six weeks or one week. Right. Or one day with a loss, like we didn't know. Uh, but when we got back to the ICU, we had people like doctors and specialists and nurses coming to see her like it was a like it was a museum exhibit, like she's back here, like she's alive. And I said to the intensivist that my mother-in-law had my father-in-law brought from Calgary to Edmonton, that's the three-hour check, to the different hospital to say goodbye that day that she went uh, for the CT scan because she thought that was her last day on earth. And the intensivist said to me, so did we. And I just knew like they, they did not expect her to be here. And so right. for everything that came after that point in time and every challenge that she throws our way, I know that she has a purpose and that she is the biggest demonstration of hope in my life. And that's what I want is, is to be committed to spreading that for other people. Man, I am like sobbing over here. I know. Good <laughs> grief. Like, no, I, it, it hits so much um, home for me. And um, I'm just so thankful for you today, honestly, to share that because, gosh, it's tough, you know, to be in those moments. And I love your surrendering. Like, I was going to write that down as a note as you were, you know, speaking. And then you said it. It was, you know, I can't be in the in-between. And I think that that was mine too. You know, when I prayed out to God, I'm like, I can't, I mean, I'll do it. God, I'll do it. I say that every time, but I don't want to have to be in the in-between and um, just seeing that miracle and being a part of that. I mean, I think is amazing. And I love that this many years later, you know, you are coming out with this book and this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted to time this, that when this is released on my podcast, it is the week that your, your book is coming out because so many people need to one, see the power of God, power of prayer, and just the power of miracles that there are miracles around us all the time. Um, I got to meet Macy at the beginning of this and um, just seeing her makes me emotional because what a little fighter she has been, you yeah. know, and for your family to um, experience this. So tell me about these beads of courage because I saw this on your website and I wish I would have done this because my, my medical advocate does give me stats every now and then that she'll go, this is how many times you've had treatment. This is how many hours you've technically been. This is how many pills you've taken, Amy. But tell me about this beads of courage. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a beautiful program that they do at the hospital. I think they call them beads of courage um, and beads of bravery in other hospitals. And I do think for adults or anybody, it would be so wonderful. But what they do is there's different color beads, different shapes and different sizes and different colors, and each represent something during that cancer journey. And so they have, uh, you know, things for antibiotics, things for admissions, things for pokes. Uh, we have square ones for lumbar punctures, which are spinal taps. 
Uh, we have ones for blood transfusions. And, um, and then there was ones we had to make up because she had done all these things that these other, these other cancer kiddos hadn't necessarily faced. And so we made some up like her trip to Edmonton and there's ones for hair loss, you know, because she did lose her hair. Um, and a couple of times, I think we have two hair loss uh, beads and, um, what else would there be ones for, you know, uh, CT scans or x-rays or surgeries, right? Um, right? All of those things. And so she collects them over the journey. And at first I thought like, this feels like a lot to track because you're feeling so overwhelmed. I'm already tracking all these doctor notes and all these, you know, all the rounds that they do and things like that. But as soon as I started to track and collect them, this is absolutely gorgeous. And we have a frame, like a shadow box to put them in, but I haven't put them in yet because I still bring them out to show people. But it says, uh, though she be but little, she is fierce, which is the Shakespeare quote. And yes. um, she has 800 beads, which I mean, tells a story in and of itself. And also yeah. I'm sure we missed, we missed a lot, right? Cause you're, you, like I said, you're tired and you're tracking all these things. Uh, but here she has this pile of beads and, and she, when she's older, she can look at them and understand her journey, I think, through that visual, yes. which was also kind of the purpose for the book. And, and then her brothers often would string the beads. So I have videos and pictures of them, you know, being able to participate by putting those beads on her on her string. And so, yeah, it was it, really special. I love that because I'm a big, you know, into the anchoring, the daily, you know, reminders, because, you know, I'm sure years later, you too can, you know, obviously reliving the story is so powerful. And I love that we have this recorded so that you can always go back and listen to it. And it's why I even tried to journal a lot through mine, because we quickly can forget our brains preserve us in that way and not maybe sitting through the pain. But I find so much power in going through that story and then seeing like the visual of that. And it's not because you want to highlight the pain. It's just a reminder of what a fighter, you know, she is. So talk to me about, you know, I mean, in 2019, I wrote down that you found, you know, so after all of this, then you hit another, you know, what I would consider probably as a mom, like, oh my gosh, this is like the, the leftovers of the cancer. So what happened in 2019? In 2019, she, um, because she had had so much uh, neurological, you know, trauma with being on the life support and just even with chemotherapy, they wanted to do a full neuropsychological assessment at the hospital. And so they they went through that and and they brought us back on September 2019 and they told us that she was diagnosed with an intellectual disability it was sort of on the mild scale but it still put her at a functional age much much younger than her current age she's almost eight in March but um you know it puts her a few years behind uh, functionally neurologically um and you know it was interesting because I thought here we've had all of these these moments where we've been given news that were really traumatic and really full of fear and really with a lot of unknowns in terms of her, you know, her survival. And now it's different because they're not saying that she uh, needs to be admitted to the hospital, but they're, what they are giving us is the continued need to surrender because now we've been given this unknown trajectory again for what her future looks like, for where she will fit. And and a beautiful thing is being able to embrace your uniqueness and being able to use that message to remind other people that you do not have to fit. There's no norm. You don't have to fit it. You can yes. be who you were designed to be, but it hits you still in that moment because you have dreams for your children and they look a certain way. And I think when you have a child with special needs, um, that as many people do, you have that time of grieving where you yeah. just 
grieving the loss of something that you didn't even know you really wanted. It's just you're used to envisioning what you do envision, right? What you went through, what your norm looks like, what yeah. other people's kids are doing, right? And so you just, you grieve a loss. And so we did that. But my husband has always had the best attitude about that. And he just says like, I do not put limits on her ever because look at what she's done. And, you know, there's no point in trying to predict where she will yeah. be or what she will do or what God could take her and use her for and and that is really that really helps ground me right and, and I think that he's been really instrumental in taking me back to like look how far she came why would you ever put limits on her and I love so that's that. I try to go back to that <laughs> it's so important because yes it's like we we can take on say diagnosis and 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 listen to what they say but then that's just it listen to what they say and go Okay, I'm going to take that. But you know what? I also know that, man, miracles happen. I don't need to fit in this box. You know, I've been told my internal bodies, you know, they thought when I get off this cancer that I'd really have all this metabolic issues and hormone replacement therapy. And we're seeing just the resilience of my own body and that I'm like, yeah, well, you said I wasn't going to be able to do this. And I think not taking things always at that value and going and accepting it is super important. I mean, accepting it in that, yes, you're okay with that if that's the law in life that you've been given. And I think it's important to surrender to that. But then it's also saying, yeah, but you know what? I'm not going to put myself in this box. And you know what? Macy's not going to, she's necessarily going to follow that law in life and in what they expect. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know what, even if she does follow the, you know, a plan that's different from what I think I hope for her, that's not to say that it won't be perfect and that it exactly. won't be an opportunity for me to learn and grow and, and to share her in whatever way that that is right. I, I love that. That's so important. So let's talk about the book. What did you, did you think you were going to be an author here? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Um, what happened was, is I wrote a blog during her time in hospital and um, it started as a way just to tell people, Hey, she's having a transfusion. We need our numbers up to here. Like if you're into praying, can you please throw that out there? And it started like for logistics and for like, Oh, we need someone to please help us with our shoveling our driveway or whatever it was. And it turned into really a therapy. And so I started to write and it was so good for um, my, just for processing and for my anxiety and, um, and also just to kind of gain that connection with other people as they were encouraged or inspired or drawn into our story. And it allowed them to go, wow, like to feel a little bit, you know, of empathy that because my words were resonating with them or to take away something for themselves. And so over time, it started to go that people would say, you know, you should write a book. And it was sort of like, at first, it's sort of like, you know, it's kind of flattering um, that they took my words and, and thought they were good enough to be in a book. But over time, it really started to feel like I was these, I call them whispers of my heart. And I really started to feel that whisper getting stronger. And so at first, I actually was trying to write a, a book for adults. And I thought I'll turn my blog into a book. And this could really help people. And this could be really something that, you know, people are encouraged by it now. What if I massage it, it could still be really encouraging to people and comforting. But I started down that and it was it was too big and it was too overwhelming. And I have so many bins of things that were on Macy's wall and medical journals and notes and journals, you know, my own journals and all these things. And I, I can't make head or tail of this. I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. And it was also heavy. Like every time I would go back, like, you know, you talk about having the beads or things to relive it. 
but it was just, I would keep getting stunted. Right. Cause I would go, ah, this is too hard right now. Right. And, and then anyway, so I don't know how exactly it happened, but, um, right around spring, summer of 2019, um, a coach that I had gone to a, a class in person on self-publishing the year, year or two before, um, when I thought I was going to write the adult book, she had this like 30 day to write a picture book, sort of like challenge or something like this. And I, I started to, again, those whispers got stronger mm. and I thought, what if I break this down as a gift for Macy and into bite size, sort of what feels like bite size, of course, it's huge because you have to get it illustrated and all sorts of other things. But I thought, what if I start a little smaller and I just go back to who she is and what I want and who I want people to know, what I want people to know about her. And, and it becomes a project to, yes, go through that stuff that hurts, but on a smaller scale Yes. And start with the delight. And that's why it's called the delightful days. Start with who she is now and the light that she brings to my life and others. And, and, and then if it goes nowhere but Macy, I have a picture book, right? I have a, yes. a story of her because she's not going to remember everything. And this way she can see herself preserved in a book. And so I, I just started with that. And then it, it did not come. My story did not come until COVID lockdown with my three kids homeschooling them it was just so so um true to form for how it works for me which is i i have sticky notes and backs of receipts and voice memos and stuff everywhere in my head and then all of a sudden it's like this download right and it just came and then i was able to start running with it and the story came my mom is a really um my sidekick my silent partner and helped me edit and my aunt as well who's by profession and editor. And then the idea started to come right for the pictures. And then I was able to figure out all the pieces again, because I had this coach that had sort of kickstarted this idea of a children's book. And then it just really became something for me, like, even though it's still about my family, yeah. my daughter, it was I had been a personal training and doing some boot camps and stuff, but really in the primary role of, of housekeeper and mom and wife. And I'm, that's a blessing. But it, this became something for me to do a project for me that wasn't hospital project management. It was a job, right? And so it just, it turned into that. And then in my mind, it turned into, I think, a three-part series just to go through like who she is, what she battled and where we are now and that intellectual disability piece. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited. I know Canada Post is slow. Well, it's all these weather storms right now, but <laughs> I know. as soon as I get it, I know I'll be sharing it on my stories and I want everyone. And, and here's the thing. I'm, I am such a big believer in here and that I tell people go right now, press pause, like go to her website. Where can they find you in the US? Where can they find you in Canada? Um, give me all the details. Okay, well, on Amazon.com or Amazon.ca. So for the United States or Canada, or any Amazon in the world. And uh, my website, which I think you'll have in the notes is CaitlinBangson.com. Yes. So you can read more about myself and about the story there. And then on Instagram or Facebook, I'm at uh, Caitlin Bangson author on both of those. Awesome. And what I will do too is because we're doing this the week that it releases, I will have the Amazon link in the show notes so that people that really don't know how to search, you can go get it. And this will just be such a inspiring um, story. And I mean, I'm, I'm emotional today. I wasn't expecting myself to cry. Well, and, you got me um, crying too. <laughs> 
And it just shows you the power of miracles and taking, you know, our, our quote unquote messes and turning them into your message. And I think that's what I love the most is that we don't know the turns that our life is, you know, going to bring us. I certainly didn't think I'd be doing say a podcast, but like you with your blog, it became um, therapy for me. You know, it was like my own messes that some of them I'm working lifetime through still. Um, it, it's so helpful. So I'm so thankful for people like you, Caitlin, that actually, you know, um, are vulnerable to sharing, you know, the painful stories, but also so that other people can see the other side that, you know, we can overcome and that we can turn this into our purpose. Thank you. I mean, I love that about you. I think that's why I felt connected to you. Why I've been listening to you and praying for you is because you live that, but you're also like, you're authentic to the days that are hard. Right. And I, I like to say that your hopefulness and heaviness, they can exist at the same time. They can exist together. And and I think that you demonstrate that. And that's why I, I felt that connection to you. And I hope that that's what comes through with our story is that uh, it's OK. You can be grateful and gloomy. You can be hopeful and heavy. It all exists together. <laughs> It's so good that you just said that. We'll just finish off on that because when we were leaving, um, you know, Canada on the 24th, but, you know, Leilani had to say goodbye to her dad that night and we got in the car and we were listening to a worship song. I actually let her sit in the front, which I never do, but she wanted to hold my hand and she was just sobbing. And, you know, but then two days later on Christmas, she was having a great day. And, you know, we got into bed that night and I said, I hope that this shows you something, Leilani, is that. You can be in the lowest of dumps and it can still exist in other happiness. And it's okay to show the happiness and it's okay to show the sadness and that they do mutually exist together. I mean, I have had rough, rough days that, you know, two minutes later, we could be laughing about something. And so I think it's important for us to share that and, 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 and show that to our children. You know, I'm sure that you've showed your children a lot of, you know, resilience and the surrender as well. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I thank you so much for being able to talk this way with me and have me here. Oh, thank you so much. So listen, go to my show notes, go buy the book. I know that there'll be more parts coming out, which I'm really excited about too. There's a three-part series to this. And um, thank you again for coming on, Caitlin. Thank you, Amy. I mean, so much. Okay, another episode in the books. And I'll tell you what, I am loving this podcasting gig. I cannot thank you enough for all of the reviews, for the comments that you've been sending me. It gives me an idea of more of what you want to hear. And my one ask here is this. I would love it if you would screenshot this or hit the copy link and share this with people you think would benefit from hearing from me. It's the way I'm going to get my message out, my vision out, and I would so much appreciate it. I will continue to bring episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays with bonus ones on Saturdays with my husband, and I'm excited to share them with you.